It was back in January of uh, this year, the 29th, which was on a Sunday, that we started a communion series, sermon series, called The Seven Sayings of Jesus on the Cross. One Savior, one cross, and seven statements that changed lives. We looked at a phrase last time we did this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Tonight, here on Good Friday, we are going to look at a passage out of Luke 23. It's verse number 43, and it's when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Then you will have to wait till July. Because that's when our next communion service will be, the last Sunday of July the 30th. And we're looking at the phrase, Woman, behold thy son, and behold your mother. Then way up forward to October. And we will look at the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in December, we have a December 31st Sunday. And so we also will have a communion Sunday on the very last day of this year, and we will talk about the phrase, I am thirsty. By the way, next March 31st is Easter. Choir, you have less than a year to to get ready for next year. The 31st of March will be Easter, so Good Friday will be the 29th couple days before, and we will look at the phrase, it is finished. And then finally, in June of 2024, we will be through with our study, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the plan I have in front of me. One Savior, one cross, and seven statements that changed lives. If I had a subtitle tonight, and you might have seen it on the... the, uh, PowerPoint a little while before the service started. It's not just a good Friday. It's a very good Friday. You may think that's an unusual way to approach a good Friday service. Because normally we focus heavily on the sacrifice of Christ. And we should. And we will. This communion table reminds us of two very significant things. Number one... How terrible is our sin? And number two, how great is the grace of God? Now, we can all testify here tonight. I'm sure that if we all marched up here one by one, we can tell each other how Christ has changed our lives. Each story is different. Your story is different than my story. Every story would be different in that regard, But the results are all the same. When you think of it this way, sin had a very high price tag. As an unbeliever, we knew that God condemned sin to death. It was not even that we were waiting to die, but the awful spiritual reality was already in place. We were already judged. We were already dead in our trespasses and sins. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, there's so many beautiful phrases in there, but some real powerful expressions of our lostness 
And in chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope. And you were without God in this world. Even as a believer, we know sin still has an awful sting, don't we? Charles Spurgeon uh, said this, and it's rather interesting. I just have on my my Facebook page uh, one of those quotes of the day from Spurgeon pops up every day. I just love looking at that. And this one came up this past week, and it just struck me. And so I said, boy, this is going to perfectly fit into what I want to say. As a believer, when it comes to sin, he says, Christians can never sin cheaply. They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgressions destroy peace of mind. Obscures fellowship with Jesus. Hinders prayers. Brings darkness over the soul. Therefore, do not be a serf or bondman of sin. I thought a lot about those phrases. But yet when a man, a woman, or a child comes to know what Jesus did for them on the cross, everything is different. Everything is different. Sin's price tag is paid for. Forgiveness is a reality. And we have a hope that this world can never give, nor does it understand. In Romans 5.2, Paul wrote, through whom, speaking of Jesus, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. He says in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 5, hope does not disappoint. In First Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, wonderful phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a great Easter verse, isn't it? Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, This hope is the anchor of the soul. The anchor of the soul is both sure And it is steadfast. That hope we have, don't we? Because what Jesus did. We have a hope we never had before. Because of what Jesus did. Think of it. This is something you now have. You have it. Through Him. Far too often, I know it, we could easily take our salvation for granted, can't we? The reality is tonight, you have been changed forever because what Jesus did at that cross. You have been changed forever. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight before we go into our communion service because that's what we're here for primarily. But I want to talk to you about a man tonight who is maybe five yards away from Jesus hanging on a cross next to him. I can't fully tell you his story. 
We know he had been caught stealing at some point. That's what we were told. He was a thief. Whatever it was, it must have been significant. He was arrested. He was tried. He was found guilty. And given the sentence of death. And on top of that, death by crucifixion. And I don't know if there's a worse way to die. There was a morning as he waited in a jail cell that the sound of feet, the release of a door lock, brought to him the reality that this was his last day. Did he have a family? We don't know. Did he regret his sins? We don't know. We do not know where he was from. We do not know how old he was. All we find in his biography is that he was a thief and was condemned to die. I can tell you what his condition was that morning. He was lost. He was hopeless. He was a sinner, dead in his sins. He had no help. He had no future. He was about to pay the earthly and the spiritual penalty for sin. It wasn't enough that he was going to die physically. The reality was that he would also come to know what spiritual death is all about. There was a sermon preached in 1855 by Charles Spurgeon speaking about a God who does not change. Immutability is in the title. Most people, what's that? The immutability of God. He does not change. He does not change. And as this was preached, this phrase is right, or this paragraph is right in the middle of the sermon. Imagine, if you will, the man who is speaking at the time is not quite 20 years old. To some of you, God is unchanging in his threatenings. If every promise stands fast and every oath of the covenant is fulfilled, hark thee, sinner, mark the word. Hear the death knell of thy carnal hopes. See the funeral of thy fleshly trustings. Every threatening of God, as well as every promise, shall be fulfilled. Talk of decrees. I will tell you of a decree. He that believeth not shall be condemned. That is a decree. And a statute that can never change. Be as good as you please. Be as moral as you can. Be as honest as you will. Walk as uprightly as you may. There stands the unchangeable threatening. He that believeth not shall be condemned. What sayest thou to that, moralist? Oh, thou wishest thou go alter it and say, He that does not live a holy life shall be condemned. That will be true. 
but it does not say so. It says, he that believeth not. Here's the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, but you cannot alter it. You must believe or be condemned, saith the Bible. And Mark, that threat of God is as unchangeable as God himself. And when a thousand years of hell's torment shall have passed away, you shall look on high and see written in burning letters of fire, he that believeth not shall be condemned. But Lord, I am condemned. Nevertheless, it says, shall be still. And when a million ages have rolled away and you are exhausted by your pains and agonies, you shall turn your eyes and still read, shall be condemned, unchanged, unaltered. And when you have thought that eternity must have spun out its last thread, that every particle of that which is called eternity must have run out, and you still see it written up there, shall be condemned. Oh, terrific thought. How dare I utter it, but I must. You must be warned, sirs lest you also come into this place of torment. You must be told rough things, for if God's gospel is not a rough thing, the law is a rough thing. Mount Sinai is a rough thing. Woe to the watchman that warns not the ungodly. God is unchanging in His threatenings. Beware, O sinner, for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Potent words. This is the condemnation that followed a thief out of his cell. He, like the others, took up a cross and began to walk through a crowd. They reviled him as he went by. But in his heart was only darkness. A few hours later, he would be thrust into an eternal mystery of dread. The pain of the nails were as excruciating as it was for him as any other. The cross is an instrument of death, and it always succeeds. Here he hangs. Moments from black eternity wishing that somehow the drugged vinegar offered to him would render him senseless to all still before him. But he can't help but notice the man beside him. His death was not for crimes, and he knew it. He heard the jeers of the crowds. He saw his fellow thief join in, with the vile, hateful words aimed at Jesus. That other criminal hanging there on the cross was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Suddenly a new thought crossed his mind. Watching the man take the abuse without a whimper, without reviling in return, but committing himself to his father. We would say it this way, I think. That that spiritual base of knowledge the Holy Spirit broke through 
all those layers of sins and darkness. We sing a song with words like this that Charles Wesley once penned. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. But thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. And this one answered and rebuked the other thief and said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? For we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And I could only imagine from the lowest, lowest place of humility a man could go. He has nothing to offer. He has only a plea. Only a plea. Only one grasp at hope. He asks a question. And it changes them forever. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Nothing else. He didn't say, rescue me from this cross. He didn't even ask for a place of honor or a place of glory when he gets there. Just remember me. Remember me. What a change happened that day about noon. Physically, the man still hung on a cross dying like a thief. But inwardly, as the song says, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. I went forth and followed thee. The words were, today you shall be with me in paradise. Wow. I tried to picture that. All I could say is that what I love about the grace of Christ it is so undeserved, and it is so wonderful to receive it, isn't it? There was a thief moved from darkness to light. A criminal in this world, a resident in heaven, all in one day. All in one day. For most of us, Good Friday is a very somber day. For a thief... It was a very good Friday. I come to the cross seeking mercy and grace. I come to the cross where you died in my place. Out of my weakness and into your strength, humbly, I come to the cross. Your arms are open. You called me by name. You welcomed the child that was lost. You paid the price for my guilt and my shame. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come to the cross. You know, Jesus always knew the right thing to say, didn't he? Today, I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. But you know what was great about that phrase? Jesus could do something about it. 
he could do something about it. He was there bearing the sins of the criminal right beside him. He bore the sin of that thief and entered eternity with the Savior by his side. You, believer, you have a Savior by your side too, don't you? Do you know him? I'm going to ask that over and over. Do you know him? He will change your life forever, won't he? Do you believe him? Where's your hope tonight? Where's your hope tonight? We're going to take the time to look at these things that are set before us. Bread and drink. The bread, we are reminded of the body of Christ that was broken for us. He gave his body on that cross. The cup reminds us of his blood that was poured out for us. These things here cannot save you. Only Jesus can. But this is our remembrance. We bring it up because he told us to remember him. And I still ask myself, why should we have forgotten? Why is it that we need the reminder? Why is it that we come around every single year to a mark on the calendar to tell us, remember Jesus died, remember he rose again. I'm glad we do it. I'm so thankful he did it. But just like that thief, every single one of us us was heading to a Christless eternity. And Jesus saved our lives. He paid the price. You're free.